All right. Well, we have been looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and last week we talked about love, and this week we're going to explore joy, and we talked a lot about joy when we were in our Philippians series, and there could be this idea that perhaps we've exhausted the idea of joy, yet that there's something that we could all use and, and, and talk about and, and understand better is the concept of joy, particularly biblical joy and joy in Christ, and the fact is, is love uh, life can be tough. And the passage we're going to look at today, it really compares life to a race, specifically a marathon. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Hebrews 12. Um, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. So Hebrews 12. Now, I don't know if you've ever ran a marathon before. Um, I think that it requires to have some mental issues to run a marathon. But... Um, I have. I've ran two. So there, that tells you where I'm at, right? And if you ran any race, it's grueling, especially a long-distance race. It could, be, it could be very grueling, and you get this, get this sense that you want to run, and there's this joy when you first start a long race. And my first marathon was actually in an environment like this. You know, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon, but it was not in Washington, D.C. It was in... Um, Camp uh, Takatum in Iraq, and so they did it out there in Iraq, and so we all jumped up and we did the marathon together, and it, we had all this joy and excitement, and then after about mile 18, the, the joy and excitement went away, and life could be like that. It could be filled with these events that threaten to extinguish our joy, but as Christians, joy is not a result of our circumstances, but it's the anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Christ. We, we have joy in Christ right now, but there's this reality that's been infused by the Holy Spirit, that there's this peculiar joy awaiting us that is greater than we could even possibly fathom. It's this joyful aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that allows us to persevere in the midst of chaos. It's this joyful aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that when we're depressed and it's the darkness of life and things are just not going right and we're weeping, there's this undercurrent of joy. There's this joyful aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit that is, is telling us that there's more to this. It's the, that aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that tells us that this is only temporary. However, this life is filled with obstacles and distractions and hazards. It can obscure our jo the joyful truth of our anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Christ. And when we lose sight of those promises, we often enter into this practical atheism. We, we kind of go through the motions of life. We say that we believe in these promises and there's joy in those promises, but then we're hit with these circumstances and where the joy goes away. And it results in the opposite of joy, which is hopelessness and despair. So today what I want to do is I want to look at three aspects of the way that we could maintain our focus in this race called life and thrive with the anticipation and the fruit, fruitful joy of the, the, the joy set before us in Christ. So let me ask God to just bless this time as he speaks to us through his word. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, reveal your words to us. Teach us these things that we do not know. 
May you stir in us the joy that you have set before us in Jesus Christ. So we pray for that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing we see is fruitful joy requires confidence and commitment to win the race. Now, when I showed up to um, all of my races, the two marathons and another half marathon, I showed up there and I saw all these people. And these people had these runner, runner's bodies. Now, I know it's a shock to you, but I don't have a runner's body. Um, and I go there and I'm like, man, these people just look fast. They've got these long legs and here I go. And I don't have long legs and I'm not a slender guy. So I go and I'm like, do I even belong in this race? And I start, have, I start having doubts. But we see fruitful joy requires the confidence that we are God's chosen runner in this race. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Anytime you see in Scripture, therefore, you've got to see what was before that. And in, in chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews lays out this hall of faith of, of believers that were in the Bible. And we, we read that... This is how, how the, the author sums up in, in chapter 11, 32. He says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samuel, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign uh, armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an, an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes and in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received the, prom their, their, the promise that awaited them. Here's the thing. We are surrounded by a legacy of people that went before us. And they endured and they were weak. They were like us. There was nothing special about any of these people that we read in the Bible in and of themselves. What made them special is they were God's chosen runners in the race. And those that went before us in faith provide a light lighthouse, a legacy of joy that we can emulate and follow. And as we think about them, we see how joyful they were in the midst of the circumstances that they, they were in. And they didn't receive the fullness of that race that they ran at that particular time, yet they pursued the finish line with joy. And if you put your faith in Jesus, you are part of that legacy. You're God's chosen runner. You have to believe that, you have to own that, or you're not gonna run the, the race well. Now, when you go and you run a race, the key thing to a race, especially a long distance race, is you wanna be as light as possible. And sometimes you see people when they come up to these long, uh, when they get ready for a marathon, they have like these water bottles all over their bodies. It looks like a bat belt, like Batman and his like utility belts. And you're like, whoa, that's crazy. But the thing is, is that you want to be agile. You want to be light because one, that gear kind of could be an annoyance after a while. And it also gets heavy after a while with all the obstacles you face and just the, the hardship. And so we read, we continue in verse in, in, in Hebrews 12, let us throw off, let us lay aside everything. The joy, in context, the joy that the Hebrew Christians 
initially had was, was waning. They, they were coming, coming up with, against some, some uh, tough persecution and some tough situations. And so life was tough for them and they were struggling. And this could happen with us as well. So we're called to lay aside two things. First, we're called to lay aside things that hinder us. That word hinder means encumbrances or obstructions to joyful action and progress. These are things in our lives that in and of themselves aren't necessarily sinful things, but they're, they're things that get in the way. They prevent us. There are the, they're these things in our lives that are like the silent assassins that just murder our joy in plain sight because they're in and of themselves good things. And I was, I was lamenting about this actually yesterday and this morning. And usually these things are, are, are things that stem from an insecurity, so you have to do them. So like for me, it's an education thing. And, and I was, I've been in the midst of, of this doctor of ministry program and there's just so much going on in my life. And I've been toying with, should I just stop doing that? Because it's, it's just too much for me. But there's this insecurity, like if I don't continually achieve, that there's something wrong, that somehow you all are gonna fi find out and go, oh, look at this guy, like get him out of here. I'm just throwing out my heart here. Like, and so I go and, and, and I'm struggling with that. Pursuing a doctorate isn't a bad thing, but it's become a hindrance to my relationship with Jesus Christ and as a pastor. And all of us have these things. They're subjective things in our lives. So it's a hindrance to you might not be a hindrance to me. And they're not sinful things, but they could easily become sinful things. They, become, they could become idols. And so we're called to lay aside those things, those hindrances. We need to be light. We need to be agile. We're also called to throw off the sin that easily entangles us. Now, when you run a race, it's easy to get discouraged. Your thoughts, there's these thoughts that just run through your mind. And you can easily be discouraged by the mistakes you make in a race. When you run a race, you have this, 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 this pace you want to set. And I have my, my GPS watch, and I have certain milestones I want to meet. And when I don't meet those milestones, or when I, when I take my eye off of that and I make a mistake... I start to get discouraged about that, and that can happen with us when it comes to our sin. Sin entangles our affections, and it squelches the work of the Holy Spirit, and it makes us incapable of joy in Christ. And we just stop running the race. And these things are objective things. These are things that are clear in God's Word. So what are some of these things for you? What are some of these hindrances, some of these things that entangle you? Now, the first marathon I ran in Iraq just happened to be the week that the desert had the biggest rainstorm of the, of the year that whole week. And so there was these giant puddles of water everywhere. And then as I started running, rain started to, to, to fall down. I remember having to wade in the race with water up to my knees, and it was just tough. And I question if I should even continue on, but fruitful joy requires the commitment to run the race no matter what. We continue on and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The word race in Greek is agon, which is where we get the English word agony. Makes sense. <laughs> if you ever ran a race, it totally makes sense. This race is not a stroll in the park. We're competing, we're competing with Satan, we're competing with our flesh, we're competing with the world, and all these things want to snuff out our joy in Christ. 
They want to snuff out the joy that we have now, but also our future joy that we'll have. But we're called to run this race with steadfastness and a willingness to endure the hardships. And it's during these times of agony we experience the heights of this joy and this anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Christ. When you're running the race and you're running and you're running and rain comes down and you're wading through water or you hurt your ankle or whatever the thing is, the finish line looks so sweet. You're like, I can't wait till this race is over with. And it's the same thing here in life. It's during those times where you are just so anxious about the things of life. You've got so many, many things going on, and they're good things. They're things with kids, they're things with jobs, they're things with church, they're things with leisure. There's all these good things, but yet you're about to have a nervous breakdown because there's so many things going on. The pace of life has got you, and you're, there's this agony of life. And everyone's telling you, you should be so happy. And you're saying, I'm not happy. There's also the, also the agony of failure. Because you made an oath that you would never do something. Something you know is an addiction. Something that is a life-dominating sin. Maybe it was taking another drink. Maybe it was clicking on another website you shouldn't have clicked on. But yet you do it and you fail. And it's the agony, that failure that you feel. And it's during those times that we have the opportunity to lay aside those things. Trust the Holy Spirit and experience the joy of the anticipated promises the anticipated exaltation of the promises in Jesus Christ. It's that time that we see what is awaiting us. We won't have to deal with those things anymore. One day, that's the joy. And the Holy Spirit brings those things up to us. So I have to ask you, what do you need to lay aside right now in your life? What are those things in your life right now you need to lay aside? It's obscuring your view of the joy in Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing. Second, fruitful joy requires a concentrated focus on the prize at the end of the race. No one runs a race without a prize in mind. I mean, I ran a race because I wanted a medal. I, I, I'm going to admit it, I love the medal. It looks pretty sweet. And I ran that race for the medal. And if you want to run the race to get the prize, it requires your attention. It requires you to keep a good pace. It requires you to look at your time and, and know the route you're running. And the same thing is with us in, our, in life. Fruitful joy requires a Christ-centered at attention. Verse 2 says, fixing our eyes. That word fixing our eyes means to look at something without having one's attention diverted. So who do we fix our eyes on? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus and what he did to understand this concept of joy, of the anticipated exaltation of the promises of God. We look to Jesus. Jesus is our pioneer, our perfecter. And we say, what did he do? I don't get this anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Christ. What does that mean, Brian? We look to Jesus. Jesus shows us. So what did Jesus do? We say, we read, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus left the security and everlasting joy, comfort, and love of the eternal Father and emptied himself of his glory. He endured temptations, attacks, injustice, sorrow, denial by his closest friends. Jesus didn't run this race of faith here on this earth for the simple pleasure of running. 
He ran for the joy set before him, which was his anticipated exaltation at the right hand of the Father. He ran for the joy of his own glory. There was a prize waiting. It was for him to get a restored glory at the right hand of the Father. So he ran for a prize. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is the prize that motivates us to keep running? And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not heaven. Heaven is secured upon our faith in Jesus Christ. It's a place. We're going if you put your faith and trust in Christ. The motivation is the joy of the anticipated exaltation of the promises in Christ is every spiritual blessing. We have been promised in Ephesians 1 that God has, is going to lavish every spiritual blessing on us in Jesus Christ and that we are co-heirs with Christ. That means that we will experience this basking in the presence of Christ, the pleasure of Christ. It is this emotional, this spiritual, this physical exaltation that we have never experienced before. We get a taste of it here, but we just get a taste. After you run a marathon, when I ran the San Diego Rock and Roll Marathon, I ran, I ran, I thought I was going to die. And I went to the finish line and I literally dropped down on the ground. I was, we were outside of Petco Park. I laid down on my back, and I could not move. And people were walking over me. There was thousands of people. They were like, are you all right? As they're walking over me with their free stuff in their hands. And I'm like, they're like, are you all right? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just keep walking. Just keep You got a Gatorade? You know, just like keep feeding me Gatorades and stuff. And I couldn't move. I laid there for an hour. But here's the thing. There was an exhilaration while I laid down there on that ground. It's over. It was that deep and joyous sigh. It's over. That was the most comfortable pavement I've ever been on in my life. And that's what we have awaiting us. Not pavement, but Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Being in his presence. We see that in order for us to pursue that, to get that, the fruitful joy requires Christ-centered endurance right now. It says he endured the cross, but he kept his eyes on the prize. He kept his eyes on the joy of the anticipated exaltation he would experience. And we must keep our eyes on the prize. And here's the thing. Nothing will slow you down more as a runner than looking at your feet or looking behind you for the runners coming behind you. And a lot of times, that's what happens with us as we run our race. We're too busy preoccupied with ourselves. We're looking down on our feet. We're, we're worried about our comforts. Worried about, is my gear looking right? Do I look good while I'm running? Or we're worried about the runners that are coming behind us. We're worried about our Christian brothers and sisters, what they think of us. Do we have favor with them instead of favor with God? There's also a unique phenomenon that I just have not figured out yet. And if this is you, I apologize. Actually, I don't. I think you should repent if I tell you this, all right? And when you go to a race, I expect to see some serious people running a race. You paid money to run 26 blah, blah, blah miles. Like, one, again, it requires you to be a little crazy to do that, and you pay for that. Um, but here's the thing. You go there, and you're like, if I'm going to pay money, and I'm going to train for three to six months for this, I'm going to be serious about this. But yet, some people show up, and they're like in like their normal sweats, very bulky stuff. They got like, 
They're, they're, they're like checking their Facebook. They're walking around. They're leisurely walking. And I'm like, you're not, why are you here? You're supposed to run the race to win. It's like they're not taking it seriously. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in a way, in such a way, to get the prize. So my question is, is how are you running the race right now? Are you all in, or are you just going through the motions? Because here's the thing, if you're just going through the motions and you're not experiencing that anticipated exaltation, that joy that comes from that, it makes complete sense. We experience the joy of the anticipated exaltation, the promises of God in Christ, when we're all in. We have to be all in. We have to experience the agony of the race. But in order for us to do that, we need help. We need help by the Holy Spirit. Now it leads me to my third point. Fruitful joy requires this continual consideration for the purposes of the race. Verse 3 says, Consider, think actively, continually, with effort, precision. This isn't a flippant think about or consider. It isn't like, yeah, I've considered it. No, it's focus on this. Consider what? Him. Him who? Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We need help by the Holy Spirit to do this. When I ran my first marathon in, in Iraq, there was this guy named Vic. Vic was a guy that I worked with, and he had run many marathons. And he was, this, he was a typical runner, skinny, long legs, and he just, like, very effortlessly, and, and I'm 210 pounds. He probably weighed a buck 50, 150 pounds. And for some reason, I, I would draft behind him. Not that that helped much, because he was 150 pounds, and this is like a rail, and I'm like, not. And so I draft behind him, but he would help because he went before me. I was in step with him. Or he would encourage me along the way when I started to fall back. He said, come on, Brian, let's go. And the Holy Spirit does the same thing with us when we stay in step with the Spirit. And this verse, verse 3, is an exhortation to cooperate with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to advocate for the things of Christ in our hearts. The Holy Spirit isn't this force that we just pray and go, oh, give me power. It's a person. We're called to stay in step with that person, the Holy Spirit. And we must position, our, position ourselves in this race to receive help and encouragement in this race. And we do this actively, continually, with effort and precision, thinking about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or consider the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. So the question is, is what do we consider about Jesus? Well, fruit for joy requires us continual consideration in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the most joyous news ever. Here we go, we're sinners. Let me back it up. We were created when God saw us in the garden, when he saw Adam, he said, my creation is good. Not only is it good, it is very good. But yet we rejected God's love. And there was this chasm between us and God. And there was despair and there was a purpose for despair. There was a reason for despair. Yet God, clothed in flesh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, left the right hand of the Father and lived a perfect and righteous life. The thing about Jesus that makes Jesus so good, many things, but one of the things is he, ex he understands exactly what we go, we, we go through because he ex he's experienced everything that we've been through. 
He lives a perfect and righteous life. And when I say perfect, I mean perfect. Now, one thing. And he was rejected. He was rejected by everyone that he came to save. And he was nailed to a cross. And here's the thing. Was it the physical pain? I say this every week, but I want you to get this. Was it the physical pain of the cross that he lamented? Absolutely. But it was also the emotional and spiritual pain. This was the first time that he was going to be separated from the Father's love. The first time that he would feel the weight of sin. The first time that he would feel the wrath of the Father that we deserved. He takes it upon himself. And God accepts that sacrifice. How do we know this? Because he was resurrected three days later. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we too are resurrected to new life. Life that will culminate with Christ in a joyous feast forever and ever. And here's the thing. That's not it. Because one day, things will be back to what they were. Better than what they were. God will say, this is not good. This is very good. And if you don't know that, if you've not experienced that joy, I want to I talk to you after the service. We have our prayer partners that will meet over there. I want you to talk with them. And here's the thing, folks. We need to consider this gospel, this joyous gospel. We need to consider the joy of our salvation. We need to preach to us ourselves every single day this good news. When you wake up in the morning, I'm going to challenge you. When you wake up in the morning, you open up your eyes. Before your feet hit the floor, I want you to preach the gospel to yourself. Remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Do that. Do it, just do it for a week. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see transformation. Second, fruitful joy requires continual consideration of the words of Christ. The Holy Spirit works supernaturally through the natural act of meditating on his scripture. Here's the thing. Every word in the Bible speaks directly or indirectly of Jesus Christ. And people that have a low view of Scripture, have a low view of Christ, and have no capacity to receive the joy of the anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Jesus Christ. Because all of the promises we have of Jesus Christ that, that we, that we are, are waiting for are contained in this book. But if you think this book is just kind of filled with some truths and not truths, then no wonder why there's no joy expected. This is God's word. And we must take every single word seriously, every single T that's crossed seriously, every single I that's dotted seriously, because they contain the promises of God in Christ to us. When you have a low view of scripture, you're missing out on joy because you don't believe it. And when I say meditate on scripture, I'm not talking about just read it. I'm talking about meditate on it. Let this book read you. Spend time in it. I'm going to encourage you. Sometimes I go and I say, hey, if you ever spend time with me in my office or we just met on for or whatever, my, my first question to you usually is, is how's your time in the Word been? And my, the answer I usually get with someone is, well, you know, it really hasn't been that good. I'm going to encourage you to go home today, after the annual meeting, of course, and look at what you've got going on in your life. Lay aside anything that hinders your view of this Word and meditating on this Word. Get rid of it, because you're missing out. 
You think that without those things, you're settling for less, but you're not. You're settling for less when you don't meditate on God's words and the promises that are contained in here that are meant for you in Christ. Finally, fruitful joy requires continual consideration of our victory in Christ. Now, one of the, one of the best sports moments for me as someone who grew up in the L.A. area was the 1988 World Series. Kirk Gibson, who was, their, was, who was one of their, their, uh, their cleanup hitters, had been hurt. His left ankle was pretty much broken, and so he was out of the game. And so it's game one. Dodgers are against the Athletics, the Oakland A's, and Dennis Eckerlessly is like their ace pitcher. And no one hits off of Dennis Eckerlessly. And it's the bottom of the ninth, and the manager, Tom Miller, sort of calls Kirk Gibson. Gibson had been out of the game, so he hobbles up to the... To the, to, the, to the batter's box. He sits there. He can't put his weight on his back leg because his back leg is what's broken. So he kind of has his front leg holding the weight. And if you know anything about baseball, you cannot hit a ball like that. You shift your weight from back to front and then hit it. And so Kirk Gibson's up against Eckerlessly. Everyone's like, game over. This isn't going to happen. Gibson takes a couple swings. He starts hobbling around. Finally, he comes up. Bam! Hits it. Home run. Dodgers win. And I remember going crazy, and I watched this from time to time. And it's funny because when I watch it, I know what's going to happen. I've watched it like 5,000 times. And there's this sense of like, yeah, the Dodgers are going to win, and Kirk Gibson's going to knock it out of the park. And here's the thing. Just a, just a spoiler alert. We win! We win in Jesus! We win! But we need to walk in the joy of that victory. We need to walk in that joy. So what's the purpose of this race? What do we consider about Christ? The purpose is joyful transformation in Christ-likeness. We're called to be like Christ to a joyless world. So I have to ask you, how joyful are you? I'm not talking about classic Christian smile. I'm talking about internal joy and the promises of God for you. That intrinsic joy, the joy that keeps you, keeps you you're going on. As I conclude, when you run a marathon, it's important that you take the long view. You can't just sprint. You have to take the long view. You have to pace yourself. And in this life, we must take the long, long view and rejoice in the eternal inheritance that far outweighs whatever we're going through right now. God is pleased with us when we are joyfully satisfied in him. Friends, it's time to pick up our feet Follow Jesus and run with the joy of the anticipated exaltation of the promises of God in Christ. Let me pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that your fullness would come upon us. As we leave this room, it would be so in a way that we were filled with joy. I'm not talking about joy, Lord, that where we have a plastic Christian smile and we fake it till we make it. I am talking about joy that is a certain joy, a joy, a peculiar joy that we know that things are going to be all right because we are in you and that you have something laid aside for us. And therefore, we do not have to fear anything in this world because we fear you ultimately. We love you, Lord. Be with us. Empower us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.